have a Bible, uh, please turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter uh, 19. Uh, Lord willing, we'll finish out Revelation 19 today. Uh, Revelation 19, we'll look at verses 11 through uh, 21. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. Um, Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. And uh, when you have found that place, if you're physically able to do so, would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. Revelation chapter 19, beginning of verse 11. I'll go with you verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord that's given to us tonight. The word says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he, sh- that he, with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together to the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which, <clears throat> with which he deceived them that had received, received the mark of the beast, and them, worship, them that worshipped his image. These both were cast into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Let's pray. Father, as we (coughs) assemble this evening on this Lord's Day, may you bless now the reading of your word, give us wisdom, and give us understanding. We ask now in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You can be can be seated. Um, well, we are almost done, almost finished with Revelation. I can't believe it. I don't know how necessarily I feel about it. I mean, I, I feel like I've not really done a great service to the book of Revelation, but it has been an interesting uh, journey as we've traveled through the book of Revelation together. It's been, a, it's been an interesting one. And so now we come to um, the end of Revelation chapter 19. And in Revelation chapter 19, we have... Uh, um, not just the, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb, but now we have the picture, this picture of Jesus that is again offered to us. And it's an interesting picture because it's not a picture that we necessarily think of when we think of Jesus. It's not a picture that we necessarily think, ah, yeah, that's, that's it. Uh, um, that's, 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 that's Jesus, the Jesus that I worship, the King that I worship. But the, Re- the book of Revelation depicts throughout the book of Revelation Jesus as the warrior king. He presents to G, he presents uh, to John, he presents to us this idea that Jesus is the conquering warrior king that has come to conquer and 
he has come to lay his enemies down and lay them low. Um, and so before we really dig in, let, let me offer you just a real brief recap of, of how we got here. I, I, I'm sure I don't have to, but just, just for our sakes, just to make sure we're all on the same page, let me just offer you a real quick uh, brief recap of, of, of what we saw right before this. Um, as, as I said, we, we saw right previous to this, we saw the marriage supper of the Lamb. We saw, of course, even prior to that, we, we, we gave, you know, uh, the book of Revelation is written to the seven churches in uh, Asia Minor uh, who were all struggling in various and in different ways. They were, they were all, um, they were all um, uh, whether through persecution or through sin, uh, through, through um, from the, those who claim to be believers or just the unbelieving world. They were constantly under some set of, of barrage, some set of, of, of um, besetting um, otherworldly at times um, uh, barrage of different, uh, of various types, of various kinds. Um, they were struggling with things like false teachers, corrupt practices, and, and had begun to infect the, the local churches and it was not a uh, so two of them were still faithful, but even they were, were still persecuted and suffering. And yet in this mercy, Almighty God has given to us, give to them, but given to us as well, the, uh, these believing communities, um, our believing communities. Uh, and, and he's given to us in these believing communities instructions concerning uh, not just present issues, certainly present issues, but also even future realities uh, vision of ultimately ultimate of ultimate victory of future victory of of justice and even comfort that comes to Christ's victory that that comes to us at various times in our lives, and we've seen throughout the Book of Revelation I think three sets of seven uh, three sets of sevens haven't we? We've seen the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. We saw that these were not only symbols of judgment to come, but uh, were, were judgments that had been and have been in every age. Uh, we've also seen that uh, as we've entered into Revelation chapter 17, the, uh, find ourselves uh, um, it, where the, the, the great prostitute was judged by God, by the Lamb himself, Babylon, um, and, and really was just a, a symbol of the seductive and corruptive influence of the world system and uh, ultimately has been judged. But with that behind us now, let's take a look specifically at what is in our text. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, Jesus, um, John opens up immediately after the singing of heaven, the, the, the rejoicing of heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb, all of these things have happened. And then in chapter, chapter 19, verse 11, and John says, And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. It's interesting that right after, immediately following, like, like John is picking up on uh, Mark's verbiage here, because Mark is, Mark is always talking about immediately, immediately, immediately. Everything with Mark is, in the Gospel of Mark, is immediately after these things. Well, John seems to be picking up on that idea here, and he says, and, 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 Immediately after this, I saw, right? Right after this, I saw. Right after what? Right after the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't it interesting that right after the marriage supper of the Lamb, you have the King of kings and the Lord of lords who marches out to destroy. It's an amazing, it's an amazing picture. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a picture of a bridegroom who is, who is on the warpath. 
the, the Lamb of God, the seven-horned, seven-eyed, right, symbolic figure introduced to us in Revelation chapter 5. This, this Jesus, right, he is the one who now goes out to conquer. He is the one uh, who, who now goes out to put down and to destroy. And back in, in, in uh, Revelation, Revelation chapter 5, if you go back there, uh, if you, uh, you can, you don't have to, but if you want to, in Revelation chapter 5, Listen to what it says beginning in verse 11. Uh, it says, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, the number of them, which was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And we've talked about that before. But saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And it is in this strength, it is in this might, that this Lamb, the, the warrior groom, the warrior king, the bridegroom goes forth to destroy the nations and the inhabitants of the nations who have brought great suffering to his people. So this isn't just, as I said, the picture of two women, but Babylon and the, the, the bride, the church. But this is also a picture of, uh, and it's not only a picture of, uh, of, of Babylon's downfall and the church's victory, but it's even the story of the destruction of the world systems and the values of the world and the, the uh, represented by Antichrist and the, uh, the false prophet and, and, and now king, the real king, the king of kings, who goes forth to once and for all to destroy and to put them down, to no longer allow them to, uh, to, to, uh, to deceive people. And, and listen to what he says in chapter 5 here, in ver, beginning in verse 13. He says, And every creature which is in heaven on earth and under the earth and such as in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him that sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. Um, and again, this is, this is the power of Jesus. This is our king's power. He is, not, uh, he is not limited in his power. He's not limited in his sovereignty. He's not limited in his authority, right? This may not necessarily be, right, the imagery that we expect, either in chapter 5 with this, with this lamb, right, that was slain, or now as a warrior king, a bridegroom, a, the, the, the bridegroom who is a warrior king going out to conquer. And yet again, over and over and over again, this is the this is the idea that's being presented to us in the book of Revelation. Revelation is a very <clears throat> it's a very bloody book insofar as it presents the the cosmic um uh, uh, fall of of uh the world powers and the demonic powers and King Jesus being the one true and only king who is worthy of all glory and honor. So much so that if we read back in Revelation chapter 17, verses 13 and 14, it tells us this. It says, um, and, and speaking of, of their trust and their hope in comparison to, the, to our hope in our king, it says these, speaking of the world, uh, these have one mind and shall give pa their power and strength to the beast. And these shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. As we'll see here in just a minute, who, who are the ones that are coming um, with him? Um, it, it isn't, uh, it's not the angels, 
Um, it's the holy ones. It's, it's God's people who are coming with him, in the, uh, not, in, not in our own strength, not in our own power, but in the strength and power of Christ, who has overcome and has conquered. And, and I, I hope you see the parallels. The, the lamb is the rider on the white horse. The, now, earlier in Revelation, we had another rider in, in, in white, but he was a, he was a deceiver. He was a, he was the, he was a liar. He, he only pretended to be that which we now see here in Revelation chapter 19. We see King Jesus, the real and true and ultimate king, and he is coming to, to conquer the nations, right? And we understand the imagery here. It's very strange for us, a conquering warrior lamb king. And yet, this is exactly how Christ has overcome and how he conquers. It's how we overcome, through the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. And we need to understand this, this imagery, right? Uh, uh, to really understand all this, I mean, remember, the book of Revelation is rooted in the Old Testament. The, the book of Revelation is rooted in the Old Testament. So, really, to understand all of this, um, I think for us, we need to remember um, that um, Isaiah even even uh, mentions this, or at least has something to say about this, back in the book of Isaiah, uh, in chapter uh, 63, Isaiah speaking here, prophesying, he says in verse, uh, in verse 1 of uh, Isaiah 63, he says, Who is this that comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Who are you, red in your apparel and your garments, like him that treads in the wine, the wine vat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain my raiment. Sound familiar? Jesus says... He takes now the, the Isaiah passage, 63, and he says, this is me. This is the one prophesied of. This is the one that, has, that, that was long ago prophesied of what I would do, I will now do. I do now at the end of the age. I once and for all take up my, my place, my rightful place, and I trod the nations down. I put them down once and for all. But there's another passage, I think just as interesting, uh, back in Isaiah. If you go to Isaiah 11, listen to the words of, of the prophet Isaiah here as he prophesies uh, in the name of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 4. Listen, listen to what uh, Isaiah prophesies here. Right? And there shall come forth a rod of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him, a, of, uh, and, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of the eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of the ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked." Listen to verse 5, and righteousness shall be the girdle or his belt of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Interesting, isn't it? Because again, this is Jesus taking the imagery of the Old Testament and applying it directly to himself. He's given John this, this understanding here. 
But I would say to you that even in all of this, what we see in Revelation chapter 17, Jesus, the warrior king, the bridegroom, warrior king, who's going out to conquer and to battle, to put down once and for all, all those that have stood in his way, um, all those world systems that have stood in his way, all those things that have stood in, uh, that, that, that tried to withstand him, but ultimately can't. This king of kings, this Lord of lords. There's one other passage in the Old Testament that I think John, uh, that, that the Lord gives to John and draws from here. Um, and it shouldn't surprise us. I mean, the Lord is the one who wrote the book, so he has every right to, to pull from the imagery, whatever he wants. But in Psalm chapter 2, listen, and I know I've quoted this many times and probably quoted any, many more times. But in Psalm chapter 2, listen, listen we, we have the fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2 in Revelation chapter, chapter 19. And listen to what it says here, Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh and the Lord shall have, hold them in derision. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Literally his fury. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. This day have I begotten you. Ask of me and I shall give you the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O kings of the, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way. Then his wrath is kindled, but a little blessed are all they that put their trust in him. And so we, here we are as God's people looking at the fulfillment of Revelation chapter, in Revelation chapter 19, the fulfillment of, of all of this taking place, the fulfillment of the, 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 the supper, or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, the, the, the fulfillment of, of what God has promised and long ago foretold, God now fulfilling, God now doing, God now working out and working through to ultimately do what he has promised long ago. And I know that at times it can feel as if, as if this has been a long time coming, right? Whether we're talking about Revelation here, as whether we're talking about the book of Revelation, or even in our time. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we at times it can feel as if Jesus is never going to come back, but we cling to, we hold to, we hold fast to the promise that, that this is going to come to pass. There is going to come a day when Jesus puts down the last enemy, the last foe that he conquers the nations and he does this how and we'll talk about this here in just more in just a moment but he does so through the word right from the word of God and, and so it is the gospel that brings the nations to their knees it is the gospel that brings down the nations that crushes and and, and puts down the, 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 the gates that hell has erected against God himself and have try, are saying to God, no, no, you can't come here. But God bursts through, through the power of the gospel, he bursts through and he, he overcomes even the principalities and powers through the simply but a word. And it's amazing because Jesus is called the word, right, in the gospel of John. 
But we see constantly in Genesis, what is it that, that he says? He says in Genesis, and God said, and God spoke, and, 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 and it came to pass. And constantly we see over and over again God, God's might through simply speaking. And it's an amazing reality that God works and moves in a mighty way so that there is coming a day when there will not be one person, one entity, one king, one kingdom, one, 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 one anything uh, that will be able, even in all of their might, humanity will not be able to withstand the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has finally come to punish the wicked. He has come uh, and he has come to show forth his power and his might that he is not only the Lord of the church, but he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And it's interesting that throughout um, throughout the, the first couple of chapters of Revelation, the depictions and the pictures of Jesus are constantly repeated over and over again. Um, things like uh, in Revelation one fourteen and Revelation two eighteen, it talks about his eyes are are flames of fire, and in Revelation three fourteen he is called faithful and true, and in Revelation one sixteen and two sixteen it is said that he carries a sharp sword and it proceeds out of his mouth. And here again we see all of these depictions of Jesus. All of these same powerful depictions of Christ. We see these similarities represented, represented over and over and over and over again. Um, and, and we also find similarities, right, between this representation of, the G, of Jesus and, and the beast that wants to be Jesus, right? This antichrist beast that wants to be Jesus. This world system that wants to be Jesus. This, this, this false Jesus, right? This false system that wants, that desires to be worshipped, right? And, and, and he tries to mimic Jesus. He tries to mimic the Messiah, and ultimately, he can't. He can't. He can't stand. He can't, <clears throat> he can't stand in the way of, of Almighty God he, uh, <clears throat> because he is simply, at the end of the day, this world system is nothing but a pretender. He is, a not, he is not a contender, he is a pretender. And so we see here Jesus coming forward as the conquering king. And it is interesting here that the <clears throat> excuse me, that in Revelation 19, uh, we get all kinds of interesting pictures. Um, a, a vesture right? Uh, a robe dipped in blood. Whose blood? His blood? Somebody, his enemy's blood? Uh, who's, whose blood? Well, well, the reality is we're not told. Um, but I tend to believe that, that, that this, is, uh, um, this is ultimately the, the blood of his enemies that he has conquered and has destroyed and has put down and laid waste to once and for all. Uh, he is the one who has laid them waste once and for all, and he has dipped their blood in, in his robe in their blood. He has drenched his robe with their blood by his conquering of them. And again, we, we understand that um, uh, this may not be necessarily a literal understanding, um, right? His robe may not literally be dripping with blood, but it is a, it, at the very least, it is a, a, a testimony to us that Christ is the conquering king who does overcome and puts down his enemies. Um, 
And if it is a if it is a, a literal dipping and dripping of blood, then then that's what it is. But uh, at this point, at least, um, we we look at the meaning behind it, and we see Christ as the sovereign Lord and the King who smites his enemies and destroys them. He treads them down under the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And as we've seen over and over again throughout the Book of Revelation, this this is not like any other. This is not like any anything that we've we've ever. Um, necessarily taken note of before. This is a this is a fierceness. This is a God's wrath poured out abundantly. Um, God not holding back His rightful rule and reign over the nations once and for all. But then there's a judgment that it gets pronounced as a result of this after His pronouncing Himself or uh, Him being announced uh, and, and as uh, uh, who He is, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In verse 17, it says, "And I saw an angel standing in the sun." And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together for the supper of the great God. Now, as I've already said, we saw a beautiful marriage supper. A table filled, a banquet of of all kinds of luxurious foods where the the bride of the Lamb was able to partake, where we as God's people partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb and we rejoice in that and we we rejoice in in Christ's um, uh, promises being fulfilled to us and we feast at his table. We we are we are feasting and in, in all of his goodness and his good blessings and bountifulness. But here there's another much more grotesque feast taking place. Uh, this is a this is not a, a good feast. This is certainly not a feast uh, we any of us want to be called to. This is not the feast that if we are in Christ any of us will be called to, but this is certainly not a feast that any would be called to. Because notice the imagery here. Notice the imagery here. And the fowls, the birds, right, that fly in the midst of heaven, all of them were called together, right? It's what it says in verse 17. And look at what it says in verse 18. And, that, and co- they are commanded to come and eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the captains and the flesh of the mighty men and the flesh of the horses and all that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond or slave, both small and great, this is, a, this is a rather grotesque uh, reality here of what Jesus is saying. I mean, this, is, this is not a, um, again, this is not a feast that you or I want to partake in. This is, a, this is a feast of judgment. Before it was a feast of blessing. Here now is a feast of judgment. Before it was a feast of, of great bounty uh, in the blessings of God. Here there is a great bounty uh, in, the, in the curses and the, the, the judgment of God. And just as the angel in verse 9 talked about the invitation to the wedding supper of Christ and his church, so now the scavenging birds are called together. Listen to how Deuteronomy 28-26 describes, um, describes such a fate. It says, And your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth, and there shall be no one to frighten them away. Speaking of God's cursing to the, upon the nation of Israel. Well, here it's not come upon the nation of Israel, it's come upon the nations. Right, because they have they have turned their back on the Lord, they have turned away from the Lord. They have not served the Lord, and and they have not cur- heeded His call to repentance. So now, Deuteronomy twenty eight, the cursings of Deuteronomy twenty eight are now called upon the nations, and they are now the birds, the scavengers of the earth. Now are filled and fill their bellies with all sorts of of flesh of humans, and 
This is a covenant curse. This is a humiliating death. Uh, it's, and it's, it's the fate. It's the, it's the entire fate of, of all of mankind who refuses to bow the knee to Christ. It symbolizes the horrible fate that awaits the enemies of King Jesus. Because notice what it says. It says, kings, captains, free, slaves, beasts, people. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what position they held. It doesn't matter what, what place in this life that they held to. If they have not bowed the knee, it doesn't matter social standing. It doesn't matter economic status. It doesn't matter political status. It doesn't matter anything. If they have not bowed the knee to King Jesus, they will all suffer the same fate. And it's interesting because on the flip side, the same is true. No matter who we are, right, when Christ saves us, whether we're free or slave, whether we are uh, rich or poor, or whether we are black or white or any other color, whether, we're, whether we are of the right social class or the right from the right side of the tracks, that any, any who bow the knee to King Jesus and come to King Jesus in faith, God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's interesting. It's interesting that, that Jesus' great, the king's great invitation is free to all who will call upon the name of the Lord, who will repent and believe the gospel. But here, this, their fate, the fate of those who do not do this are the same. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter how old or how young or how rich or how poor or if a slave or not. You are, if not bowing the knee to King Jesus at his, at his mercy and his judgment. And then in chapter 19, uh, chapter 19 here, verses 19 through 21, the, the, the ultimate judgment is accomplished here, isn't it? John serving as a witness in this passage of Scripture. <clears throat> excuse me. John is, John is ultimately telling us here, it's not only announced, right? It's, it's not just something that is going to happen, right? But, but we see this as something uh, in, in chapter, chapter 19, verse 19 and following. This is something that is set. It is settled. It's not just something that's going to happen, but it's something that is settled, that it will happen like this. It's going to happen like this. There is no way, no, no getting around it. This is going to take place exactly the way we are told. Right? This, there is no room for doubt. There's no room for, for any kind of wiggling here in this passage. This, this, their judgment has been settled who do not repent, just as their grace has been settled for those who, who repent and believe the gospel. And so we, we, we notice, notice though, there's actually no battle described here. Did you notice that? There's no battle described in these verses, right? That's interesting, I, th I think. I think it's interesting that there's no, there's no war mentioned here. Armageddon was mentioned earlier, um, in uh, earlier in, in Revelation, um, but here there, there's no there's no mention of a war. There's no mention of a battle. Um, and it's it's interesting here that 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 I think it's interesting that that is the case. But instead of not only that, but but after the birds feast on their supper, right, the beast and the false prophet, right, they are then captured and they are thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, right? Um, it, it's a description uh, and the emphasis of the severity of the judgment that's coming. Uh, it, I, I would just simply say, you know, if you, um, 
it's a, it's a great study if you want to do more on this idea of judgment and hell, the lake of fire. These are these are the, these are. Uh, it's not the most. Uh, it's not the most uh, rejoicing or joyful studies you could do, but it is a it is a worthwhile study as you look at these things as you look at judgment. So, what do, what do we have here, right? What do, what, do we, what do we have God showing us through the Apostle John today? Well, I, I, I think that there are a couple of different things here. I think that God wants us to realize that um, ultimately um, this language, this apocalyptic language that's being used here, Right is 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 to remind us of the greater reality of what's first of what's going on even around us. As I said this morning, I don't know that that I I'll use myself as an example. I don't know that I even think enough about what goes on in our midst. Right, like so so often it's easy for us to think about you know uh, you know I'm focused on preaching or teaching or making sure everything you know is you know goes smoothly. Um, but but this greater spiritual realities of what is taking place. And the fact that every time we sing, our songs, um, whether, whether we like to think of this or not, our songs are the war anthems of heaven. They are the war anthems of heaven. We sing with the angels and the, the saints gathered in heaven, and we rejoice with the saints and the angels of heaven. Every time we gather and assemble together, the angels are even said to, 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 to be among us as we assemble and gather as God's people. And it's it's interesting, and, and I think I think it is important here um, that that we understand that um, uh, that that you and I I, I think certainly understand that that this is a uh, this is a symbol of of the greater reality of of not only the cosmic conflict but the ultimate, ultimately the cosmic um, victory of Christ uh, over the principalities and powers and rulers and princes of the of the nations. God is God is at work. And it is interesting why I bring this up, right? Why, why do I bring this up? Why, why do I, why do I, why would I bring this up? Well, if you go back um, to uh, Revelation, um, you will see uh, when the harlot, right, um, is judged, what becomes, what becomes of her, right? What, what, what becomes of her? Well, she becomes a haunt for all types of demons and unclean spirits, um, as, I, as I've already talked about. Um, and and after, after she is ultimately judged, um, we're told in, 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 Isaiah, uh, I'm sorry, in Revelation 16, verse 12, it says this, beginning in verse 12, it says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, or demons, working miracles, which go forth to, to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And Jesus then says, Behold, I come as a thief, blessed is he that watches and keeps his garment. In verse 15, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame verse 16 and he gathered them together in a place called in the hebrew tongue armageddon well so why is it that no battle is mentioned here in revelation 19 it's because it's already been mentioned um, earlier in the passage um, and as a result then god ultimately 
Um, <clears throat> God ultimately works and moves in a, uh, in, a, in a miraculous and mighty way to, to bring these under. By the way, um, I want to present to you that uh, if you go, uh, mo- most all of my life I've heard that Armageddon takes place in the plains of Megiddo. The problem with that is, is that it's said that uh, it is a mountain whereon Armageddon takes place. Uh, and I would simply submit to you that the battle does not take place in the valley of Megiddo, but actually it is over Jerusalem because of the understanding of Har, in our language, R Megiddo, but in the Greek there is a punctuation which means R-H Har Megiddo, which means the mount uh, and so uh, I believe the Mount of God or something along those lines, and it is actually a representation and a fulfillment of the Jerusalem. Um, but that's for a different time and a different place. I'll simply say it is, if you are interested in that, something very worthy to take a look at. But to that point then, God ultimately exercises his great power and his great sovereignty, uh, and God ultimately overcomes and takes down the kings of the nations and destroys them, utterly laying them low, reminding them who he is, that he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. But notice this. Notice um, in verse 20, and it says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. And them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of of, uh, fire burning with with brimstone. I I would submit to you that these are um, slated for um, a greater judgment because of their wickedness, as are all all false teachers who seek to deceive, uh, who seek to devour God's people, who seek to destroy God's people. But brothers and sisters, let let me say to us, let us say, let me say to us that um, Christ is king. He is king. He has been king. He is king. He will always be king. There's not a time or a place when Jesus will cease to be king. And particularly when we get into the idea of, of the millennium here in chapter 20, and we'll talk, uh, we'll talk about some different views of the millennial reign and things like that, but, but as we get into this, we need to understand that our confidence needs to be in Christ. That whether we are talking, whether whatever time we live in, whether we live in the time of Bethlehem, we live in the time of Golgotha, we live in the time of, we live, or we live in the time of the beast, right? That Christ is so, sovereign and he is the conquering king through the gospel. He rides forth and he conquers and, 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 and rides over his enemies. And so we say that as, 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 as God's people, we honestly, who are with Christ, we rejoice and we look forward to that day. And we don't let anybody say to us, we don't let anybody look down on us and say, oh yeah, well, you guys keep saying Jesus is coming, but he hasn't come. Well, uh, it may seem like it takes a long time, but Jesus is coming. He is coming. And I think that you and I need to constantly look, keep our eyes upon Christ. We do not need, and let me encourage us here, uh, we don't need to be conquered by Jesus on that day. We can be, if we will submit to him and surrender to his, his might today, if we surrender to him, if we accept his love and mercy that is extended to all who will repent and believe, we can be, we will be saved from, from the day of wrath and judgment. We will be saved from, the, from tasting of God's ultimate punishment to, the, to those who refuse to bow the knee 
God's great grace is a blessed defeat for those who are in Christ because it leads to ultimate victory. And let's pray together. Father, as we have looked at this text, uh, my prayer is that you would guide and direct our understanding. God, there's so much here. We, we ultimately thank you that there is no, no being, no, no, uh, no entity, no nothing that can stand in your way. There is, uh, um, there is no antichrist, no false teacher, no false prophet, no nothing that can stand in the way of King Jesus. We thank you that there's coming a day in which your, your victory will once and for all be seen clearly. And it will be held up and it will be clear and we can rejoice in that day. So help us to even now take refuge in King Jesus and help us to take refuge in Christ so that we do not taste in that day, that day of, of your judgment and wrath, your wrath. But may we taste and see that you are good, that the Lord is good and that his mercy endures forever. So may you help us, Father, to look to 